Welcome to the Basketball Index Podcast. I'm your host, Taylor, and today we are talking about the state of the Bulls. Talking to Steph No today. He is an NBA writer for the Sporting News. Steph, how how would you say the state of the Bulls is going right now? State of the Bulls has seen better days, I would say. Uh, you know, Lonzo Ball is absolutely essential to – I'm sure we'll get into it uh, as we talk here, but he is so, so important to what the Bulls are trying to do. And the latest news from him is that uh, he's probably going to miss all of training camp, which is pretty much every fan's worst nightmare. But uh, I think there's still reasons, you know, to be optimistic about the team. Uh, we're just going to have to wait until probably like the middle of the season to see their best basketball now. Yeah, I know when he went down, that was a really big blow. It seemed like him and Caruso as the two guard defenders really uh, like I remember like in the middle of the season when it seemed like the Bulls were humming. It seemed like that tandem like was really I, I can't really think of anything else in the league that I'd seen like that in a little while. That's what made the Bulls pretty hard to evaluate, I think, is the way that they had their success was so unusual. Yeah, I mean, usually these great defenses are built on dominant interior defenders you rarely see such impactful perimeter defenders and i think it's important that you brought up both of those guys because the synergy of them playing together was so so much much more uh impactful than just one of them at a time which unfortunately is what we saw for a lot of the season because one would get healthy the other one would get hurt vice versa um but when those two guys were on the floor i mean ben taylor did a fantastic video on mm-hmm. their defensive yeah. impact and it's totally changed games. I mean, the bulls were a top 10 defense when those guys were in, when they started to fall apart due to injuries, they were a bottom 10 defense. So, you know, it's just a, a massive, massive swing. Uh, let, let's talk about DeMar DeRozan because he came over in free agency and honestly had like a really spectacular year. Uh, I think he had our second best mid-range uh, shot making grade in our database going back to 2014 and really played out of his mind. And like you said, like the injuries did start to pile up. He had some some crazy runs where he was on the same stat board as like Wilt Chamberlain. <laughs> what was that like to see uh, game in, game out? It was unbelievable. I mean, I've watched every Bulls game since, I don't know, 1996. When I was, you know, so what was I? I was 12 years old at that point. And the only other time I've experienced something like that is during the Jordan era. Obviously, DeMar is not Michael Jordan, but I think you could make a decent case that the season he turned in last season was. Maybe the second most impressive behind what Jordan did. And there have been some really good bowl seasons. I mean, Derrick Rose won an MVP 2011. Jimmy Butler was easily a top 10 player uh, before he left. So I'm not saying that lightly, but just the stuff he did that season last season was so, so special. Every time the games got tight, two minutes left to go, you knew DeMar was getting the ball. Everybody in the stadium knew it. The other team knew it. And as you said, this mid-range weaponry is unstoppable. I mean, the shots that he took are not good shots for other players. And like you said, I mean, he just hits them at such a high rate. Um, and when you need points uh, late late in games, when that drastically impacts your win probability, just making one shot. Can't think of a player that I'd rather have from Bulls history taking that shot aside from Michael Jordan. So he obviously had a fantastic year last year. Uh, You know, he went, obviously he was on Toronto for a long time, scored a lot of points, went over to the Spurs for a few years uh, after the Kawhi Leonard trade. And 
this I, this seems sort of like a revitalization uh, for him. Obviously, he was on a little bit better of a team, I think, which helped. Um, but are you worried about regression with him, where it's like uh, like the chances of him being able to repeat? Like there was some magic there. Was, I think there was like a week where it felt like he hit like five game winners. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think he was the first player in NBA history to hit game winners on consecutive days, and both of those were, I mean. Totally ridiculous shots. Like, speaking objectively, he probably hits those shots like 20% of the time. And to hit both of them back to back, now you're looking at like a 4% chance of that happening. Uh, but, you know, he hit them. <laughs> so that's what counts. <laughs> uh, as far as regression, I don't think that he can quite replicate the magic that he did last year. But you have to also keep in mind that, like I said, he was extremely consistent down the clutch. I mean, I think he had one month where he kind of slowed down a little bit but aside from that i mean he led the nba in fourth quarter scoring um and the way the teams guarded him i mean you it, you can't guard the guy like he's so so clever so crafty if you he's gonna pump fake like it's on every single scouting report guys get fined for falling for his shot fake but <laughs> if you don't fall for it he's gonna rise above you and you know you can get a really good contest on him he's still gonna make the shot if you do try to have like a aggressive contest, he's going to just stay on the ground and draw a foul every time. So it's just a super, super hard uh, type of offensive game to guard. He did slow down in the playoffs, I think, because when you do have these elite defenders like Drew Holiday, Wes Matthews was on, him, was on him a lot too, who I think is a wildly underrated one-on-one defender. That's when he has a lot of trouble. But day-to-day NBA grind 82 games when... You're just throwing an average guy at him. You can't stop him. So I think that's going to continue uh, this season. So Zach Levine, uh, those guys were kind of the first and second banana scoring. They bring him back. He signs a massive deal this offseason. You've seen him in two different roles, right? You saw him two years ago, I think averaged like 30 points a game. Uh, Last year was more of the secondary guy because DeMar had the ball a lot. Uh, obviously signed that giant contract. What do you think his ideal role going forward is? I think he's in it. I think that before DeMar got to the Bulls, they really wanted Zach Levine to be the man. And he wanted to be the man. And when games got close, like the Bulls used to always underperform their point differential because as good of a player as Zach is, I mean, he's really, really amazing at certain parts of the game. But I would say that his decision-making late in games is probably one of the few weak points in his game. Uh, and that's where DeMar is just super valuable on the Bulls. So him being the second, uh, Levine being the second guy to DeRozan allows him to fit into that best role for him where he can just focus on being a elite scorer. I think it's very similar. Uh, I mean, I'm not the first person to make this comparison, but it's similar to what the Suns had with Chris Paul and Devin Booker where... Paul's really controlling the game and Booker's just getting buckets. I think Mm. that's where Levine uh, is at his best. And it's like another area where he he's he's okay. Like he's definitely improved, but I would not say he's anywhere near elite as his playmaking. Um, You know, three or four years ago, I would say it was it was pretty bad, pretty rough. He's steadily improved to the point where I think he's he's probably like average now. Um, But again, that's, you know, average is not. Average is not elite, and DeRozan is, is much, much better um, that part of his game. So I think those two guys actually complement each other very well. Um, yeah, and Levine still has room to grow, too. I think like I think uh, consensus for him probably is that he's around a top 
20, 25 player. So if he can improve that playmaking a little bit, I think he can rise into that top 15 range because, um, I mean, the rest of his offensive game is just super, super difficult to guard. He's a great tough shot maker, great pull-up three-point shooter. Uh, that's another thing that um, I think is like low-hanging fruit for him is the tough shot making. Um, it's great that he can do that, but uh, if the Bulls can set him up to get easier looks, he is unbelievable when he's wide open. I mean, his shooting numbers are near the top of the league. Um, so that's that's where I would look for improvement from him. Yeah, the the numbers love him at Basketball Index. His three-point shooting talent is always near the top of the league. Uh, his getting to the rim and finishing at the rim ratings are very high as well. So analytically, like, he's kind of a – there's like an apple – what is that phrase? Apple of your eye <laughs> Yeah, for him analytically. Uh, so the third guy that I – it seemed to me as an outsider that was kind of supposed to, you know, whatever you're trying to build a big three or whatever it would be. Uh, Nikola Vucevic, I remember he uh, got moved from the Magic to the Bulls, I think that was two seasons ago. And they gave up quite a bit to get in. They gave up two first-round picks, Wendell Carter Jr., uh, who seems to be an interesting young player. And it seems like they haven't quite got the impact they were looking for when they made that trade. What have you seen? Well, he's not the same guy they traded for. When they traded for him, he was coming off a couple All-Star games. Actually, like the first half season where he came to the Bulls, he was still playing at a decently high level. He was shooting the three around 40%, which is where a, a lot of his value comes from because he's, I think he's an okay defender, like an okay scheme defender, but he's not going to clean up other people's mistakes. He has a little bit of limitations as far as scheme versatility. So, you know, he's going to have to bring most of his value on offense. And, uh, yeah, he just that, that wasn't his game last season, unfortunately. His three-pointer completely fell off a cliff. I think he dropped like 10 percentage points or something from the previous year. Um, his finishing also, like, was frustrating to watch. He was missing a lot of bunnies all year. Very, very inconsistent. So, you know, that trade is it's, it's looking really bad right now. I mean... Uh, I can't really sugarcoat it. I was I was uh, drinking the Kool Aid when the Bulls first made it because I thought they would be getting this perennial All Star, but this version of Vucevic, where I think he, he, I mean, he's still an okay player. Like I think he's still a solidly average center. Like I ranked the top thirty starting centers for a story I'm doing on Sporting News, and I think he was like exactly fifteenth, which is good. You know, I mean, it's, you you need uh, average starters if you want to be a good team, but. They thought mm -hmm. they were getting like a top five guy, and he has not been that, certainly. Yeah, um, I think it's always tough when you try to make a big splash move, especially at the trade deadline, and when things don't uh, plan, like, pan out exactly, especially when you give up picks and young players, that can sometimes be uh, difficult. Uh, let's talk about Lonzo Ball, because he went down with a knee injury, and it seems like he's tried to ramp it up a few times, and uh, from the reports I've read, it just hasn't hasn't really happened. And that's sort of a scary thing because it seems like it's happened multiple times now. Uh, do you have any more information on on his health and kind of you, you talked about it a little bit at the top of the podcast? Yeah, so I don't have any inside info, but I can tell you what has been reported from the people who are on the beat. Um, so, yeah, Lonzo had this meniscus surgery in January. And for people who... If, if your favorite player has had meniscus surgery, then you probably know that there's um, there's two different kinds of surgery you can get to repair the menis meniscus. One is like a six-week thing, and the other one is like um, 
a little bit longer. But I mean, he should have been back by now from that meniscus like very easily. But at the same time as that meniscus injury, he had a bone bruise in that same knee. That seems to be what has really been causing him a lot of trouble. Um, so yeah, I mean, that's January. That's nine months ago. He still is feeling pain when he tries to ramp up activity on that knee. So uh, bone bruise does not sound serious. It can be extremely serious, though. Kendrick Nunn missed all of last season with that same injury. Yeah. So yeah. like a bone bruise, it's not just a bruise. I mean, it's like essentially it can be as severe as a break, basically, from from my understanding. I mean, I'm not a doctor, but that's what I've heard. Um, yeah, so he just has not been able to uh, increase his activity on that knee. The latest report, like I said, he's not going to be in training camp and he's doubtful for the start of the regular season. I mean, if he's going to miss the start of the regular season in late October, that would be 11 months since he hurt that knee. And that's kind of scary to think that I, I, I have no idea how much longer it's going to be. If You know, obviously 11 months is way beyond what the Bulls timeline originally was. So there's that's really just totally up in the air when he's coming back. Yeah, that's unfortunate because he was killing it before he got hurt. He had, I think, one of our – he might have the highest deal of Ron among guards last season. So the, the metrics loved him. Uh, the, the eye test, it, it was very apparent. Like, he was playing extremely well. And then a cool nugget I found, he was one of three on-ball defenders last year that had an A in deal of Ron, which is just our overall defensive impact an A in playmaking and an A in catch and shoot shot making. So as a defender and off ball player that could move the ball, still create a little bit for the team, kind of an ideal non-star player on your team. He was one of three guys doing it at a really elite level. And it's just such a shame to lose that. Yeah. The other thing I would say about his defensive impact, I mean, um, yeah, his on off impact was extremely good, but another thing that he brought to the bulls is they, they have somewhat of an imbalanced roster this year and last year, and he provided them a ton of positional positional versatility, which they needed when Patrick Williams uh, was injured early in the season. So Lonzo was guarding. I mean, Lonzo's not a big guy, but he was guarding guys like Julius Randle. Um, <laughs> I mean, like really big players and doing a great job on them. Um, I think he made up for, you know, those guys could pretty easily back him down. But he has such active hands, and he's just so heady. He knows he, his anticipation is elite. He knows what's going to happen on the floor before anybody else does. So he is able to get his hands on the ball quite a bit uh, and just disrupt those guys. Also, just uh, blow up actions before they happen, deny them the ball. Um, just fights, fights on every single play. Uh, and there's not really that many guys in the league that can do that at as high of a level as him. So that's really, I think, where they're going to miss him. Yeah, absolutely. Let's go to the other uh, side of the defensive thing. Uh, Alex Caruso or other other position, I guess. Uh, Alex Caruso has been a top five uh, point of attack defender the last two years in the league. I don't even have a question. I just, he was my favorite player on the Lakers and then he left to go to the Bulls. I'm just jealous you got to watch him all last year. It was such a treat. And every single time I would tweet something about Alex Caruso, I'd get all these Lakers fans complaining about Jeannie Buss. And very <laughs> deservedly, I mean, uh, he might have one of the best contracts in the league. They signed him for the mid-level exemption. It's like $9.5 million over four, um, yeah, yeah. Uh, per year for four years. Um, I'm actually, another story that I'm working on for Sporting News is ranking the top 30 uh, non-starters in the league. And Caruso's number one. I know oh, I'm going to yeah. get a ton of crap for that. I mean, that sounds ridiculous to people who have not watched him. 
that he would be the best bench player in the league. I think he has a really good shot if he stays healthy at um, winning the six man. Six man always goes to the biggest scores. It never goes to defense yep. first player. But mm-hmm. I think, I mean, just Caruso has so much, um, so has so much street cred. So many people love him. I think he actually might have a shot to be a, a impact winning player that gets that award. Yeah, I think uh, people, if you just look at maybe like a box score or something, you know, you hear the reputation and he is he is phenomenal on defense. I think he's basically the best point of attack defender in the league and creates so many turnovers, things like that. Um, And I think one thing that's interesting is like normally, you know, in the three and D role, you would just have you just put him on the winger in the corner and then you will live with whatever he could do from the three point line. And he's not he's not a great shooter. Right. But he's so active. He's a good cutter. He's a good playmaker. He's a good secondary passer where he does enough things to where he's not really believing a lot of value on the offensive end, uh, whether it be, you know, a putback dunk or something like that. It brings energy. Uh, it brings some versatility to the offense. And I think it's one of those things where, like you said, you, like you watch him game to game and you're like, oh, this is like greater. Kind of you talked about earlier, like things being greater than the sum of their parts. Yeah, I think it's a testament to uh some of the things that the Bulls did right in roster building, I mentioned some of the stuff they did wrong, but if you look at guys like Lonzo and Caruso, they are not able to generate advantages themselves, and I think that's why their value is kind of depressed in the league because that's one of the most valuable skills. That's what is getting the big bucks in free agency. But once somebody has generated an advantage for those guys, they are so good at um, taking that next step when as you said like they're the secondary playmaker you swing the ball defense is off balance then i mean they can just cook because they're so smart they know exactly where the ball should go how to uh, maximize that advantage that a guy like levine or DeRozan has created for them so it's just a a beautiful thing to watch when uh caruso and ball are playing off levine and DeRozan, and that's where the bulls had so much success in the first half of the year so we talked about quite a few players on this team, uh, and honestly, they have quite a few above-average players on their team. They have some interesting young guys, too. Uh, where do you think this team goes moving forward? How do they go from that that next tier where they're – right now, they're like – they're a pretty good team, right? They made the playoffs. But how do you think they jump up into like that real threat category? It's going to be tough because, I mean, I think to be a real threat, historically, you need a top-10 player, right? And I think DeRozan was in that top 10 last season, but he is on, you know, he's on the wrong side of 30. He's going to be declining every year. I mean, father time is undefeated. So how are the Bulls going to get a top 10 player? I mean, one way is for Levine to just keep on improving. It's going to, I mean, that, that's, that's going to be kind of hard to see. Uh, it could happen, but I think for him to jump from top 20, 25 to top 10, that's, that's really hard to crack. Another way that the Bulls are hoping is Patrick Williams can be that guy. Again, um, it's kind of a tall task uh, when I'm not – I don't know how to feel about Patrick Williams just because he hasn't played enough. Like he only played 17 games last season. So could he be that guy? I mean I have no idea. Maybe. Um, But, you know, both those paths seem somewhat unlikely. So it's just – it's going to be tough. Like maybe they can – they don't – they don't have – very many picks to ship out because of that Vucevic trade. So it's going to be, again, hard for them to trade for a top 10 guy. They just don't have the trade assets. So, yeah, either Williams taking a massive, massive leap or Levine 
jumping into that top 10. Otherwise, it's it's hard to see them being like a, a true contender. But, I mean, they can still be a good team. It's just like to get to that best team in the league, one of those two things has to happen. Yeah, uh, it does seem like they're in a little bit of uh, I don't know. It's hard in the NBA, right? Because like there's the obvious teams that are super top heavy where like, you know, the Celtics, Golden State, where it's like, all right, they're obviously going for the ring. Right. And then there's the other teams that are obviously tanking. Right. And where it's like the Thunder, they're not. I mean, maybe they're starting to this year. I guess Chet's hurt, though, so I don't even know what that. Um, but there aren't a lot of teams that are like this because the Bulls, they're not particularly old, but they're not particularly young and they're not particularly good. They're great. They're good. Um, and they're they have it seems like a pretty solid floor built into this team. Like I would be absolutely shocked if this team only won, you know, something like 30 games next year, 35 games. Um, so I guess it's weird because this this doesn't seem like the plan you see out of a lot of franchises um, to get it kind of be in this middle ground. And then I don't know, I guess you are Chicago. So there is the chance of a superstar becoming disgruntled maybe in the next few years. And then looking over, seeing that the bulls are a pretty good team. Right. And then wanting to join that. Um, I could see that making sense, but like you said, they don't have a ton of draft capital. I've been going over this in my head all week, knowing you were going to come on the show. And uh, I don't know. I was, I, I don't I don't exactly know because for some teams, you know what I mean? Like, it's kind of obvious what to do. Um, Mm -hmm. And I feel like with the Bulls, it's not very obvious. Well, I mean, another way they could get that top 10 player that I was talking about, I think they are going to have a decent amount of cap space once uh, Vucevic is going to come off the books after this season and DeMar is going to come off in two seasons. So. You know, at that point, they'll just have Levine as like their big, big contract. Um, and with the cap going up, I mean, I think they can probably I haven't looked at it closely, but I'm sure they're going to have max cap space in like three years, maybe two years. So, yeah, like, you know, Chicago, like you said, is a big market. Uh, if they get a guy who wants to come to play with Zach. I think Zach is very well liked around the league. Uh, he's done like a bunch of team usa stuff too so he has those high level connections that could be a way for the bulls to really make that next jump but in this current iteration where they have this big three of damar zach and vucevic i think it's uh like what you said where they have a really high floor but um kind of a low ceiling like it kind of reminds me of the josh smith hawks you know where those Mm. were high 40s wins teams for a very long time but they they just didn't have the star power to get over that hump yeah, that makes sense. I definitely see what you're saying. I didn't know Zach Levine was uh, so liked. Uh, does it seem like I've always got this vibe? People really like Lonzo Ball. I can't think of like in the last few years anyone saying anything negative about him. And uh, I'm I don't know how to describe. I'm a you know they talk about like like workplace culture, <laughs> but I feel like if you got like this many super likable people on a team, that can't that can only help chemistry. Alex Crusoe seems like a pretty cool guy too. Are you leading the league in chillers? <laughs> you know who leads the league in hugs is DeMar DeRozan. It's not even close. I mean, uh, he finds a new person <laughs> to hug after every game. So, yeah, the Bulls have great vibes. The only uh, not great vibes guy they had on the team last year was Tristan Thompson. Thank God he's gone. <laughs> um, yeah, the only person I've heard say something bad about Lonzo Ball is like Skip Bayless or people that only oh. know him from his dad. Like people that actually – no Lonzo. Uh, I mean, how could you not like playing with the guy? Like he gets you the ball in the best places. He gets you cool dunks because he's the best transition passer outlet passer in the league. Probably 
Zion was begging the Pelicans to keep Lonzo and, you know, for whatever reason, they stupidly let him go to the Bulls. Yeah, that was uh, weird. Yeah, so I, I definitely agree with you that um, yeah, I think the Bulls have a really fun team. Um, and, you know, I, I think players would definitely like to play with those guys. All right, so we are, I guess, sort of at a crossroads, we would say, maybe, for the state of the Bulls. Uh, Steph, no, thanks for joining us here on the Basketball Index podcast. You can find his work. He's a writer at the Sporting News. Sounds like he has written and has a few uh, really cool articles coming out. Uh, Again, my name is Taylor, and we'll see you on the next episode.